the Chukchi versus the Maori. The most accurate marksmen of the tundra facing off against the most famous warriors of Oceania. History never brought these two forces against each other. But what if the Chukchi and the Maori were to fight? Who would win in a battle? We will try to answer this question by comparing their weapons, ships, tactics, military traditions, the structures of their societies, and their abilities to adapt to various natural conditions. So why did we decide to compare the Chukchi against the Maori in the first place? What could they possibly have in common? Quite a lot, it turns out. Both of these peoples are known for their aggressive behavior, brutality in combat, contempt for death, and military traditions which would make any modern man shudder where he stands. Both of these peoples put up worthy resistances against colonialists, escape, extermination, and forced their invaders into compromises. Both have earned their reputation as brave warriors and certainly deserve your likes. Now history of course does not tolerate assumptions and our comparison does not pretend to be scientific as one can argue with our conclusions. So please leave your thoughts in the comments section below and tell us who you believe would have won this battle and why. Having said that, let our analysis begin. Adapting to nature. First, let's take a look at the most important and obvious differences between the Chuchki and the Maori. The Chuchki live here, while the Maori live all the way over here, in a completely different climactic zone. The climate affects everything, from weapons to parenting. Likewise, the ability to adapt and survive in harsh natural conditions is an important quality to have during wartime. So who did manage to adapt better? Let's figure that out. This is what the Chukotka Peninsula looks like in the summer. But this is what it looks like for the remaining 10 months. The locale really is quite harsh. It's got tundras, permafrost, dwarf birches or small trees and big bears. Yet the ancestors of the Chukchi had already lived here for 5,000 years. Enough time to get used to everything. The Chukchi who lived on the coast fished, hunted seals and whales and achieved perfection in all of this business. For example, to kill a seal, a hunter crawled over to the rookery wrapped in a seal skin and imitated the movements of the animal. The Chukchi who lived further from the sea, however, roamed the tundra. First they hunted reindeer, then they became reindeer herders. Of course, it was still difficult to survive in the tundra but the Chukchi adapted quite well. Now what about the Maori? On the one hand, the climate in New Zealand is less severe than in Chukotka. On the other though, it is very different from the tropics of Eastern Polynesia, where the Maori ancestors came from. Agriculture, therefore, did not immediately take off. Tropical plants were too poorly suited for the colder climate. Instead, the Maori had to rely on hunting, but not everything went according to plan in this case either. Over the course of 200 years, the Maori completely exterminated the local wingless moa birds. At the same time, the climate became even colder. From this moment on, the Maori tribes began to wage endless wars for resources. Of course, neither side died of hunger, but in terms of adaptation to the natural environment, it is definitely the Chukchi who score a point. 1-0.
let's move on. Weapons and Armor Now let's talk more specifically about war, namely about weapons. The most formidable weapon of the Chukchi was the bow. Chukchi bows were composed out of various tree species stuck together with glue and wrapped around with sinews. Such bows struck hard and far, while the Chukchi were accurate shots, and they sometimes smeared their arrowheads with poison. The Chukchi also knew a lot about how to make armor. They constructed it mainly out of dense leather, which was meshed together with bone plates. After making contact with the Russians, iron armor also spread among their ranks. These heavier sets of armor were usually trophy or ceremonial though, as the Chukchi did not have their own iron. The Chukchi also had shields, but their use was often discouraged. Firstly, a brave warrior was not supposed to be afraid of death. Secondly, the shield slowed down movement. When your tactics are based primarily on the principle of hit and run, the best shield is speed. The Maori, on the other hand, used spears, batons and sharpened sticks in close quarter combat. But when it came to long-range weapons before they met the Europeans, it was not that their situation was worse. They simply did not have such weaponry to begin with. As is with the case with their armor, they went into battle almost entirely naked. So while the Maori deserve a life for their contempt for death, here the Chukchi again take the victory. 2-0. Maritime Affairs Alright, so in terms of battle on land, the Chukchi had stronger weapons. But what if they fought at sea? The Chukchi who lived along their coast built special kayaks, boats that were covered with walrus skin, had sails and were navigated through the use of oars. The largest of these crafts accommodated up to 30 people. The Chukchi used them to hunt sea animals and the property of the Eskimos, who were just on the other side of the Bering Strait. If the Chukchi met enemies at sea, then they opened fire with their bows. The most desperate of them dived into the water, swam up to the enemy boat, and ripped open its underside with a knife. This daring tactic, however, was rarely pursued. The water in those parts is usually slightly above zero degrees Celsius. Most of the Chukchi, therefore, did not even know how to swim, and many considered the underwater world to be the abode of evil spirits. The Maori and Polynesian peoples in general had even better maritime affairs. So much better, in fact, that they populated all of these distant lands and did so without any navigational devices. For example, the ancestors of the Maori, on their way to New Zealand, traveled for about 3,000 kilometers across the ocean. The Maori called their canoes waka. The body of the waka was hollowed out from a solid tree trunk and the sides were reinforced with wooden boards. The largest whackers that were intended for naval warfare reached up to 40 meters in length and could hold up to 100 people. Their bows were additionally strengthened to ram enemy ships. So the point for maritime affairs undoubtedly goes to the Maori. 2-1 Tactics we discussed what was fought with and what was sailed on, but the main weapon of these peoples was not the spear or the arrow, it was the mind. Let's compare the tactics and military cunning of the Chukchi against that of the Maori. Before the arrival of the Russians, the Chukchi were the main threat to the tundra. 
although even after the arrival, they continued to be a considerable danger in the region. Chukchi reindeer herders from the tundra plundered and otherwise taxed their neighbors. The coastal Chukchi in kayaks attacked the Alaskan Eskimos, taking women and children into slavery. So why couldn't the neighbors of the Chukchi fight back? Well, because they never even expected the arrival of their enemies. The Chukchi sneaked up on enemy camps unnoticed. If their stealthy operations worked out as planned, then victory was practically guaranteed. The sleepy inhabitants would be caught unawares, killed, and their deer would be taken as a prize. Once the Russians arrived in the tundra, group warfare became even more sophisticated. The famous example of this was when the Chukchi warriors set up ambushes by burying themselves under thick snow. When the enemy came close enough, they literally dived out of the ground and began stabbing the enemies with spears, preventing them from reloading their weapons. Sometimes, of course, it was necessary not only to attack, but also to defend. In these cases, the Chukchi built fortifications on the move. They put up sledges that were connected to each other in a circle formation. So how would the Maori respond to all this? Since we started talking about defense, it is important to note that they overtook the Chukchi in this sense. Here is the model of a pa, a fortified Maori settlement. This is what every self-respecting chieftain tried to build for the tribe. Wooden palisades, several protective terraces, and all according to the laws of fortification. Moreover, when muskets appeared on the islands, the Maori adapted the design of the pars to reflect these new conditions of war. Taking such a fortification by storming it is no easy feat. Attackers therefore tried to lure the defenders out of cover. One story, for example, tells about how the warriors of one tribe sewed together dogskins to create what looked like a huge whale, and at night they brought it near the enemy walls and hid within. Seeing the carcass, the defenders decided to take a closer look, only to pay a price for their curiosity. Such is the Trojan War in the Maori way. It is too difficult to determine the winner in this category. Write in the comment section below who you think is more cunning while we declare a draw. The score remains 2-1. Military Traditions Outwitting the enemy is only half of the battle. How did these people make sure that the enemy was afraid while their own warriors did not flinch at the crucial moment? How is a whole people prepared for a life of war? Let's analyze military traditions. Chukchi children began to study military affairs as soon as they could walk. They practiced with bows, brawled among each other, and developed quick reactions. Training battles and marksmanship tests were often organized for these children. Many were injured or even killed during the conditioning, but the survivors became true killing machines. The Chukchi never surrendered. Every woman carried a knife with her. If enemies attacked the tents within the camp, the woman first killed the children and then herself. Sometimes the Chukchi marched to the sound of tambourines, which were strung together from the skins of slain enemies. Fortunately enough though, this tradition remains a thing of the past. As ruffian as all that sounds, the Maori do have something to contend with. Admittedly, Maori children were not brought up as roughly as the Chukchi were. 
Their tests began at the time that they started to physically develop and grow up. To be considered an adult, a boy had to undergo a painful initiation rite. He had to endure his first facial tattoo, which was applied with a chisel. Once recognized as a man, a Maori was most afraid of showing cowardice. The face tattoo, known as tamoko, told everything about its wearer, from skills in arts and crafts to behavior on the battlefield. But facial tattoos are not all that scary. Let's talk about some really creepy stuff. The Maori practiced cannibalism, although how often they did so yields itself to much debate. Maori cannibalism is mostly known due to European missionaries and colonists, who may have easily exaggerated the truth. But more is known about the traditions of collecting the severed heads of the enemies. They were soaked in shark liver oil, steamed or smoked and then dried. This terrible tradition had the capacity not only to provoke wars, but also to end them. To reach an agreement of peace, parties exchanged these heads. The Maori have one more ace up their sleeve, the famous haka. There are many types of haka for all occasions, from meeting distinguished guests to funerals. Combat haka was performed before the battle for the psychological build-up of warriors and the intimidation of opponents. That was just too spectacular to fail. The vote goes to the Maori. 2-2. Social organization. So who was better organized? How did different groups of Maori and Chukchi interact between themselves? What kind of relationships were there within the groups? In other words, who was more united and better able to mobilize in the event of an external threat? The society of the Maori was divided into tribes, which were headed by chieftains. Ever since their settlement of New Zealand, it was customary for tribe members to obey their chieftains unquestioningly. The explanation for this is simple. If rowers had no discipline during their voyages, then the chances of getting to land dropped sharply. Well, unless you consider the bottom of the ocean to be land. Relations between the tribes constantly changed, ranging from best friends forever to we will kill you all, eat your men and take your women into slavery. Wars went on all the time. But the Maori tribes were able to unite. Most often they did so to fight together against other tribes. Sometimes large coalitions were formed with fighting detachments of up to several thousand warriors. The wars between the Maori became even more horrific once the British landed and began selling muskets to them. Having purchased firearms, a Maori tribe went to war against those neighbors who did not have these weapons. These unarmed tribes in turn tried to acquire their own muskets as quickly as possible in order to defend themselves. This period went down in history as the Musket Wars. Over the course of 30 years, according to various estimates, anywhere from 20 to 40% of the Maori population of New Zealand died out due to these wars. Only after this period was a fragile balance of power established between the remaining tribe. The Maori almost stopped fighting each other altogether, only to face a common enemy, the British. But even during these New Zealand wars, some of the Maori tribes sided with the colonialists. The Chukchi fought against one another far less frequently, 
Why fight each other when you can rob less belligerent neighbors? But they did not have any centralized power or authority like the Maori. The main unit of the Chukchi society was the camp, which included three to four families. The camps, when necessary, united and could quickly gather up to 3,000 warriors. That is a third of the entire population of Chukotka. This is partly due to the fact that not only men were allowed to fight. The matter lies in the fact that in the Chukchi society, one could choose their own gender. Let's say that you were born a woman, but you don't want to sew clothes. Rather, you would prefer to pepper your enemies with arrows. Well, no problem. All you have to do is change your hairstyle, start dressing like a man, and your male neighbors will already start asking you to help them out in raids. The Chukchi deserve a rainbow like for inclusivity and score another point for being well organized. 3-2 in their favor. Who would win in a battle? Now let's use our imagination for a bit. If the Chukchi and the Maori were to clash in battle, who would win this fight? Let's consider three possible scenarios. Scenario 1. The Maori land in Chukotka. The Chukchi shoot the invading guests with their bows and the game is over rather quickly. Okay then, so let's level the odds a little bit. The Maori now have muskets. Already better, but they still have almost no chance of winning. The Russian colonialists also had firearms but they never succeeded in conquering Chukotka. Scenario 2. The Chukchi land in New Zealand. In this case, the advantage is on the side of the Maori. Bows are, of course, still good, but the Maori are at home, and at home, as they say, even walls tend to help. Taking the Maori fortification by storming it would not work out for the Chukchi. A long siege is also unlikely to be crowned with success, the Maori are prepared for this tactic. They have experience and supplies. While the Chukchi, who are accustomed to rapid raids, would find a siege to be a completely new genre. All they can do is lure the defenders out of the fortress. But the Maori are masters of deception themselves. Therefore, they are unlikely to be so easily deceived. Scenario 3. The Chukchi and the Maori meet at sea. The Maori combat whackers outperform the Chukchi kayaks. They are faster, more maneuverable, and generally stronger. The only advantage that the Chukchi have is their ability to fire at opponents from a distance. To win, all that the Maori really need to do is to catch up with the kayaks. Remember that they are disciplined sailors, capable of coping with such a task, even under a hailstorm of arrows. For the Chukchi to win, they need to simultaneously shoot and keep their opponents at a distance. In this kind of clash, the Maori would certainly have won, albeit with heavy losses. This means that out of three possible scenarios, the Maori win in two, so the point goes to them, and the final score is 3-3. But who do you think would have gained the upper hand?